Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Today we have the man who taught Buddha everything he knows, Christopher Paulson. <laughs> and if that's me, then you're the tree he sat under to gain that knowledge. <laughs> I will take that. Oh, thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah, that's right. The tree that Buddha sat under, Vito McKenzie. And we have a special guest with us today. We have Ben Lear joining us to talk to us about what it's like to be in a position of extreme privilege teaching to others. And Chris, I'm going to let you do the introduction here. Well, I met Ben a few years ago. He was hired in my school district, moved to Fort McMurray, uh, and he has been just a wonderful addition to our staff here. He is a man who is musically inclined, who uh, who's helped out with things in theater, who's helped out really all over the place, helped out with liturgies. He, he's a he's a he's a guy you can go to. Um, uh, one of the things I really like about him is he has this one like drumming class and it's straight up like you could just call it like blue man group class because they have like the tape drums on the garbage cans. And he's just a guy who thinks outside of the box in everything he does. I've, I've had the privilege of working with him uh, directly for quite a quite a few years now. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to have him on the show. So welcome, Ben. Thank you very much for having me. I, I'm going to tr try and do my best to live up to that fabulous introduction. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, just keep talking. You'll be good. You can... That's, that's I, our theory. Outdoing us is not a challenge at all. So, <laughs> uh, Ben, let's start. What, what's your story? What got you into teaching? I mean, the, the cliched answer would be to say that it's in my blood. I'm fifth or sixth generation teacher uh, in my family. My mother is a teacher. My grandmother is a teacher. Um, multiple generations before them were teachers. And uh, as if that wasn't enough, but my dad is an Anglican priest, which even though, you know, you're not being employed in a school district, you're doing a whole heck of a lot of education there too. So it's, I've been around it my whole life. Um, I, I kind of realized when I was in, middle and high school being the person that like my friends would like go to for, for help during projects that I maybe had a knack for, I don't know, explaining or, or, or connecting. And I also, as is, I mean, you've heard this from other teachers before I had some really inspirational teachers, um, going through my high school career who show me, um, what an impact you could have. And then I just kind of took that and, and ran with it. So that's interesting because you you come from a generation full of teachers and you obviously have seen your mother, your grandmother and everyone in your family marking at all hours of the night and having to like go away from the family to to work at it. And that still didn't turn you off. No, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a busy person. Right. I've been, I was in when I was in high school, I was up at five so that we could get to school for jazz band practice at seven. And then sorry, I do... sorry, 5 a.m. <laughs> A.M., yeah. <laughs> what isn't even up that early? What are you doing as a teenager that early? Wow. Well, because jazz, jazz man started at 7, and we lived downtown, so we had to get up. We had to drive to the school, and then if it was a you know production rehearsal day, I'd probably be there until like 8.30, 9.30 at night doing rehearsal for the whatever theatrical production we were doing. But, I mean, that's just – that's it's what I love doing, so I was happy to do it, and that's that's why I still do what I'm doing today. Oh, good for you. Like, I, I think that's, that's so amazing to not only be inspired by your own family, but other teachers that have also kind of given you that inspiration as well. That That's wonderful to, to, to hear. Now, the, the topic we're getting into today is the, the challenges of teaching inclusively while being a person of extreme privilege. So this is a heavy topic to undertake. And it's really, <laughs> really something that yeah. has 
resurfaced not only in the past few years in the past year but it keeps coming up over and over and over again since i don't know the 60s 70s 80s just recognizing that so can you tell us your story of your realization that your background did not fit your audience so for for me it wasn't so much like my background didn't fit my audience it was it's 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 a multi-year journey of coming to grips with the fact that not everyone lives inside my brain um, and that my struggles, although completely legitimate struggles, don't nearly compare to the kind of systematic oppression that many people face on a day-to-day basis. So um, when, I was, when I was a teenager, um, the country was, was going through the, uh, the legalization of same-gender marriages. And... I remember hearing a lot of um, just a, a lot of stuff. <laughs> I guess is the nice way to put it around the time, um, and I had to I had to kind of work around in my mind and in my experience how something that really doesn't affect me at all. How how am I going to engage with that? Um, and one of the things that that I ended up deciding for myself when that issue was being kind of fought in the, in the courts and in the, in the policy documents was I performed a little mental exercise for myself. I said, okay, well, what if, what if someone said, um, I don't think black people should be able to get married. And I was like, what would my reaction be? And my reaction would have been horror. Like that's, that's not okay. You can't say that. And so then I started swapping in other words into that in place of in place of the obvious racist one and going, yeah, none of this is okay. And so I need to look at, I need to look at myself and what am I doing? And then that was, that was one starting point of a journey. Um, And then when I was in university, I spent several summers working um, at a, at a camp, a fabulous uh, camp that gets put on here in Alberta called music camp, Alberta. And, uh, a, a lot of a lot of young musicians who eventually end up going into education in some way or another um, end up working at this camp as I did as a supervisor. And of the like of the group of of the group of supervisors I worked with, I think probably sixty percent of us are are middle or high school band directors or teachers of some kind at this point in the province. Um, but you know, as college age students do, when you've put all the brats to bed for the night you you get together and you socialize and we were playing some idiotic party game i don't even remember what party game it was um but i remember saying and i I don't even remember what i said but i remember saying something that someone else immediately reacted to in a way that told me what i had said was problematic so uh, sorry what what was the reaction if you remember it all I, i know you don't know what you said but what was the reaction the reaction was like one of those things where like there was like an expression of immediate disgust and it was something along the lines of like, well, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as people do, I like to think I'm a good person. And that didn't jive with how I thought of myself. So I had to stop and go, okay, what's going on here? And that led to me starting to take a close look at and unpacking particularly the language that I use on a day-to-day basis, uh, especially with kids who are 
you know, more impressionable than, than the adults I'm working alongside who can flex a little bit more. Um, so I started taking a really close look at the language I use and that's been an evolving project for, I don't know, at least eight, 10 years now of just like constantly looking at the language I use and, and searching for ways to better encapsulate ideas without like stepping on, on somebody's experience. Well, you're just making me think about um, if I were to encounter my high school self, you know, as a 34 year old right now who, you know, is 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 trying his best to be like you said, I like what you said. I think uh, I like to think that I'm a good person. Um, would I look back if I met that man, that that Chris Polson, who's 17, 16 years old, would I think that he was speaking properly would i think that he was a person who while i know that he didn't harbor any hatred in his heart did his words betray his heart type thing um and it seems mm-hmm. to me as though you're talking about a journey that this isn't a teaching journey this is a lifelong journey um and you just happen to be in a position where you can you know you're making some big change cuz you're affecting you know, the youth of today and the adults of tomorrow. So just a hyper awareness almost of, uh, of the words you use, of the actions you think, uh, of the actions you do of the different, uh, you know, the stuff you're going to bring up or bring into class. Like this seems mm-hmm. like it's, it's, um, it's something that we've talked about largely on this podcast. It's you're not going in and you're putting on the teacher mask. You're actually bringing Benjamin Lear into the classroom. And for me, for me, I have to, um, I'm, I'm not like, (laughs) this is going to sound weird to anyone who knows, who knows me, especially knowing what I've (laughs) like the work that I've done in theater. Um, but like, I don't, I don't go into play. I don't go into play a part. Um, because I don't think, I don't think that works. And that's, that's my, that's my own opinion about how education works and no one has to take it for, for gospel. Um, but I don't, I don't think playing a part works at all i think if you i think kids sniff that out faster than oh that, that's gospel around here okay <laughs> John, um, this has been a reoccurring theme keep going and and i also notice a running theme of massive self-reflection in your journey like you you're constantly self-reflecting yes and, and that's something that people don't really get to until they get much older if they get to it at all so please keep going well yeah and i mean i, I like my because because I am not just a teacher, but I'm also uh, I'm also a a trained musician. I have like I have I have two degrees. I have a degree in classical trombone performance, and I have a degree in in music education at the secondary level. Um, you don't get anywhere in music without cultivating some kind of ability to self reflect, because you you shut down any possible process of mastery and of, and of growth, if you don't self-reflect. Um, and, and that's, that's something that I just like, I think you have to, I think more people should do. And I definitely feel I'm obligated to do. I don't want to jump off topic, but when I think of music, I mean, in any way, shape or form that you do it, if you are putting it out into the world, you're inviting criticism, like just by the nature of if someone hears Mm -hmm. you play, whether it's on a recording or whether it's live, they have the opportunity to say, Hey, that was good. Or that was bad. Do you think just how you've, I mean, you've been in jazz band since you were a kid. 
Yeah. Do you, do you think just that awareness of criticism has helped you to become a more reflective person and then seeped its way into your practice as a teacher? I, I don't think my awareness of, of criticism from others has been as impactful as my awareness of self-criticism. Um, any, any professional musician will tell you that they're, they're, they're their own worst critic. Um, and that's, and that's certainly true of mm. myself. Right. I mean, I, I have, like, I happen to be, I happen to be a good musician thanks to my training and, and the work that I've done. I, I happen to be, I hope a good teacher because of the work that I've done, but I'm, I'm always like finding something that could have, that could have been improved. Uh, I mean, it's one thing that I try to teach all of my kids, like every class, no matter what it is all day. It's like, there's always something that can be improved. There's always, there's always growth. That's, that's possible. If you don't stop growing, you're dead. Absolutely. As a guy who's seen your assignments, I can vouch for that. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Um, some of those grade nine assignments, um, you know, the, the ending point of them is, okay, what's next? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's, and that's what it's always been about is, is what's next. What is the next thing? What is the next step that I need to, that I need to take? But that that's great because that's also a reflection of teaching. I've often said that what happens in teaching is after 10 years, after you're kind of learning and mastering your craft, so to speak, I always find at the 10 year mark, a teacher goes, okay, I'm good now. Or no, wait, <laughs> wait, I, I have so much more to learn because new stuff just came up and I got to tackle this and they either continue on that. What next? What can I learn next? Or yeah. no, 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 this has worked. And why do I need to do anything else? Like they're the problem, not me. Uh, so I think that's great that you put that in your assignments. I love that. I was really, yeah, I was interested. I heard, I, I was listening to uh, one of your shows that you did with Mark Raby, where you're talking about, um, where you're talking about that idea. Um, and yeah, just like, it's so, so, so important. Yeah. So now what do you feel that those who may have come from privilege mm -hmm. lack in their immediate practice and how can this be rectified? Cause you talked about language, right? I have to, mm -hmm. what are the words I say? And that was a, a big thing for me years ago is when I talk about examples in the classroom, am I always picking a guy and a girl on a date? Or do I always say yeah. husband and wife? You know, I've always had to check my spouse or when two people meet. Mm -hmm. or two. So what about for you? Me, for me too, Vito, just jumping off that before we let Ben take over here. I mean, I think about myself and even the colloquialisms I use, you know, when I when I immediately call someone, hey, what's up, dude? Um, you know, I, without knowing that person in a in a in a way where I I know that that's what they want to hear or or, or anything really. Um, I, th I think, you know, it's something that uh, I think it's something that's important. And I'd love. Yeah. Sorry for kind of jumping in there, Ben. But I just you really got no, you're me. Not. Ah, he knows me well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but no, it's something that uh, that I really, you know, within the last probably like five, six, seven years, it's become to the fore of like, what words am I using? What words am I using too much? What words am I not using enough? So yeah, take it away, Ben. I, I really looking forward to hearing you talk. The I mean the question of of what someone coming like from a place of privilege like lacks in their practice. I, I don't I don't know how to effectively answer that because I mean, let's face it, the last thing the world needs is another straight white guy telling a bunch of people, here's what you should do. Amen. <laughs> and and it so happens you've got another straight white guy sitting here um i mean that hey, that's that's a huge tell though about 
you know, where privilege lies. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that being said, I think, I, I think it's really, really important that, that those of us who have privilege recognize a couple of things. This isn't about practice. This is more of just about like trying to shift the needle. Number one for me is that privilege does not exclude you from having had challenge. Cause a lot of people that I talk to who push back against the notion of privilege, push back against the notion of privilege because they say, well, no, I had to like struggle for what I have achieved and I have to, you know, I've, I've had to deal with challenges. And, and one of the hardest starting points is to get people and, and no matter who they are to accept that. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm not saying you haven't struggled. You you've had hardship. We all have, this is a hard world. The point is that the color of your skin or your gender or your age is not one of the things that has made your life harder. There are things that have made your life harder, but those are not one of them. I mean, and I'm even in a more elevated position above that where I've never been poor. Um, I always had enough to eat. I always had clothes on my back. I went to a good school. I had the opportunity to do, to do a job. I don't have any long-term overriding medical conditions that are going to cause me stress, like none of that. So like I'm at this extra level above. So I think first is like just making the leap to, you can be privileged and still be a hard worker. You can be privileged and still be a good person. That those two, those two things are not mutually exclusive. Um, and then I think the second thing is just to, to switch yourself to switch yourself from passivity to activity. Um, I was, I actually took, I I'm, I'm doing a master's degree right now. And I took a, a course in inclusive practice, um, this summer. And, um, for one of the assignments, we were instructed to like talk about inclusion and, and do research and all this kind of stuff. And, um, I came across like one of the cliche quotes that gets swapped in like all over the place. That's, um, um, Alexander Pope, the, the to err is human to forgive divine, right? <laughs> mm. It gets po- plastered across a million posters across the world. It looks and great I, as a tattoo on an ankle. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing, right? So, so I was looking at that and I was going, you know, saying like to forgive is divine is kind of like a way of passing the buck. Like to err, like I think I think and that like the, and I was I was thinking about it going you know I think people use a phrase like that you know we're only human we all make mistakes as a way of excusing inaction. I think what Pope should have said is to err is human, but that doesn't excuse inaction. So you can you can be privileged, you can have all these things. The only thing that's not acceptable in that situation is to do nothing about it. So to switch yourself from being just passively like, well, the world's a crappy place because of this reason, I guess that's the way the world is. And to switch yourself over to, okay, I can't fix the world. What can I do to fix like my world around me? And that could be, that could be a simple thing. Yeah. It could be as simple as like saying, instead of guys say folks, I don't know, maybe that's your first step. Well, and you're you're hitting some big points right here because I just was speaking with my students and we had a bit of a lesson about, is there any hope for the world? And these are grade 12 students I'm with. And what I noticed from them is this just thread of cynicism about 
whether the future could change at all, whether there is any hope in the future, whether the world is just hard headed and no one's going to change and like old people suck. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Boomer. (laughs) But, but, But you know, that, that's kind of what I, the thread I was picking up with, with them on. And I was trying to move towards what you were saying to them. Like, listen, it, you, you can't just sit back and say, nah, that's it. Let's just roll back and let it all end. You have to take action. I love what you're saying. It's a huge point right there. And I think too, what we're getting at is that, um, and I really like this about how you're articulating it, Ben, is that you're saying to me, like, this is what I've done and this is what I do. And this worked for me. And so I'm doing it this way, but that doesn't excuse the rest of the world from not doing it their way and getting to the same area of, of, of trying to understand. And I use that trying to understand very deliberately, not understanding, um, Mm -hmm. because I, I think, I think that's a huge, you know, like Vito said, big points, big points, um, I think I think that there's something there to be said that this is this is a this is a world issue that we luckily enough have you to talk about your experience with it. Um, so so yeah, it's 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 kind of a like this works for Ben. What's going to work for me? Because just because I have a great guy out here like Mister Lear who's doing it doesn't doesn't mean I can keep doing what I've always been doing. And it also doesn't mean that that people should follow my path. Right. For sure. It's like someone's someone's going to come to this from a completely different perspective and they're going to do it better or even just differently than I'm doing. And, and that's that's great. Um, yeah, I, like it's 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 weirdly it's like the same kind of thing that that pisses me off when like kids don't do their homework or something. Right. Yeah. You might have had hockey practice or whatever. That doesn't excuse you giving up on your responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's the exact same kind of thing. You got to take care of, you got to take care of what you're given. Hey, Hey kids. You know, I, my, my, uh, my two sons were being really annoying last night. <laughs> so, so no lesson plan today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, how do I know though, when I walk into Mr. Lear, when I walk into your classroom, you know, I, I'm a student who is always on the margins and is definitely always made uncomfortable. And I'm obviously a minority in the classroom. Uh, whether that be for my my skin color, my sexual orientation, or both, or my gender, or a combination of those, how do I know that? Or even how, how do, in this day and age, our religion, uh, even our religion, right? How how do I know that I I'm going to be comfortable in your classroom? Like, how do I know that you know what I'm going to be okay with you? Um, like, if you're talking about like first day of school, um, I I, I cultivate. I, or at least I try and cultivate the impression really deliberately on the first day of school. Um, the first thing you're going to get from me is, you know, like, good morning, everyone. My name is Mr. Lear. I go by the pronouns he and him. And this is what we're, this is what our class is. Here's something that I want you to like fill out to the best of your ability. Tell me a little bit more about yourself on that sheet that I'm going to give all these kids. They're going to get, they, they have space to like, yeah, put their name, but then there's stuff like, what pronouns do you want me to call you in public? What pronouns do you want me to call you if we're talking in private? Do you have a name that you want me to call you when we're doing this important, when we're doing a private one-on-one conversation? Is there something that's like really important for me to know about you to make you feel safe in my class? All of these are questions that the kids have the opportunity to fill out. And 
I'd love to be able to take like several days to go into that, um, to like have them get a little bit, you know, more comfortable with me before they try, but to like at least feel like they're safe with me before they give me some of that information. Um, but again, it's an imperfect world. And so that's, that's like my best attempt at starting it. And then throughout the year, I just, I don't know. I, I, I try my best to, to I, I read the room, I guess would be the way of way of saying it. Like if I give an example, I'm usually going to like take a second and look around the room and go, okay, does anybody look like I just trashed their world by saying what I just said? Oh, Ben, that like, I think that is like, what a, what a reflective piece there. We talk about so much stuff between the cracks of the curriculum and that type of awareness, I think is paramount to, to, to excellent pedagogy because we have no, like, you know, at the end of the day, we have no idea what's going on in their lives outside of the 90 minutes or the 40 minutes we get for them. And you just said something too, that like everyone who we've had on this show is someone who I like really respect. And I I just kind of clicked with me. Every single one of them says the same thing you started that with. Good morning. Good afternoon. You know, how's someone going to feel safe if it's teachers at the front they sit down. Teacher stands up. I'm Mr. So, you know, man, you're, you're, you're really touching my heart tonight. I mean, it's like, I, I, my priorities have developed a lot as an educator yeah. since like walking into like my first classroom, those, all those years ago, um, where like, I mean, at the end of the day, if they, if they get through the curriculum, who cares, who cares? Really, like, yeah, I, I got to put a number on your paper to make sure that you, I've certified that you're at least not going to like burn down the school <laughs> when you try and like when you try and like mix when you try and like mix stuff together in chemistry. Mister Lear's taught you enough that you're not going to make mustard gas, right? Mister Lear's final exam. Yes or no question. Will you burn down the school? No, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So, like, you know, I'm I'm going to put a number on there, but it's. It's the, the, the in between the curriculum skills are really the ones that are going to take away. I mean, I, <laughs> so my, my wife is a vice principal now and, and she was practicing doing some, uh, some, some, uh, like cognitive assessments. And so I was the guinea pig. Um, and we got, we got to the math portion. <laughs> now, I haven't taken, I haven't taken a math class in 15 years, um, and, and so like, you know, I, I stumbled at this and I was going, yeah, I can't do algebra anymore. <laughs> like I can't do like high level linear algebra anymore. Right. I can do rule of thumb probability. I can do like word problem solving. I can do percentages, that kind of thing. I'm pretty good Literally at it. I don't know what any of those mean, <laughs> <laughs> but the type of reasoning, the type of reasoning, the type of skill to like work through those things step-by-step that I've used. And in this case, I, for me, like that in-between curriculum stuff, one of those is like trying to live by and model how do we treat anyone who is different from us in a way that makes their time in my bubble, in my little world that's close by me, that makes that time for them better. And I don't always get to it, not even close, but... 
Well, this is going right back to our episode with Murray there, Chris, when she talked about the move from knowledge-based education to skills-based education and how the students can feel included in the classroom and feel like they, they have a place to belong and feel comfortable and accepted. So that's, that, that's, that's amazing. Now, you're you're talking about this from your end and everyone has their own path, but I'm listening to this right now and I'm going, okay, so what are some, what do you think are some things I can do in my practice? Like tomorrow, two years from now, five years from now, how can I start my own journey um, based on what you're saying? Um, I mean, pick, pick something right now that like I would say to someone would be pick something right now that like has always made you like, a little bit uncomfortable and just consciously change it tomorrow. Even if that's like, like a lot of, a lot of people I know, particularly if we're going to go back to the straight white guy mold of things, don't introduce themselves by going, I'm so-and-so and here are my pronouns. Start introducing yourself to people with your pronouns. Step easy. It's actually like a super, super easy thing to do. Um, and just being aware of that and saying that I guarantee you, you're going to get a kid in the class that goes, why'd you say that, sir? Great. Now I can answer you. Well, not everybody wants to go by the pronouns that they look like they should go. So I'm just making sure that people know it's okay to tell me to call them what they want. And you don't have to go into the big depth reasons why that's an important step to make, but you've now demonstrated, not just for that kid who's asked the question of you, but you've demonstrated to every single other person in that room. Yep. This guy cares about this enough. He cares about my safety enough to make this public for the class. Right. And, and like, like that's, that's an easy one step to make. So pick something that's like me always been like, oh, should I do that? Just try it. And you're speaking to, um, you know, between the lines of what you're saying, you use the word care, like care, right. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. these are ways of showing that you care about your students. Now I'm going to kind of take us off the the, the beaten path here. (laughs) Yes, I know me taking us off the beaten path. Surprise, surprise. Um, Wouldn't have said a word. word. (laughs) I would, I will. (laughs) But here's my question then. So I'm, you know, I know you, so I know the type of person you are. Uh, You're my friend. I respect you as a teacher. I know the great things you do, but I also know, that there are going to be people that you're going to encounter who, whether they're a student or a friend or whatever, who are going to say, like, why are you even doing this? Like when you get the, when you get the, the person who wants to fight what you're doing to become uh, a more open-minded person, a more inclusive person, a person who wants love to reign in the classroom, you know, what's, what's kind of the, uh, the, your process um, for then educating that type of a of of a voice in the class because i think it's fair to say that you know in any group of 40 kids or 40 adults or something there's going to be someone who says oh that's that's a whole bunch of who you know what i mean um so so yeah i just was kind of wondering because like as a guy who like even from a young age you're this reflective person that's gotta be frustrating (laughs) yeah um you you don't fight them Right. Because that's what they want. They, they, they want to be seen. 
some someone who pushes back like like at the end of the day someone who is pushing back against the idea of treating another human being with more compassion is not going to be convinced by logic and reason yeah. <laughs> right Absolutely. because because as as soon as you as soon as you even if whether or not you recognize you're arguing from this point as soon as you intellectually move from that point of i'm not going to treat another human being with a basic level of compassion and decency you've abandoned like a reasoned foundation mm-hmm. so like I'm not going to fight them. Um, I'll re-explain and redirect as many times as I as I can. Um, and if I am if I'm lucky enough to be the one in authority in the situation, so if, for instance, in the classroom where, as I was, I mean, I was telling some grade sevens today. You realize this isn't a democracy, right? This is this is a benevolent this is a benevolent dictatorship. My word is law. Um, <laughs> But so, 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 you know, so, so I'll, I'll give them the chance to have their voice. Um, and I'll say, okay, well, have you considered, and I'll offer up the counter. And if they're, if they're not willing to budge, I'll say, okay, I'm not going to like, I can't force you to believe something you don't believe, but here in the space, this is the expectation. I love and, that. And it gets, it gets, it gets way more complicated if it's an adult who is on a co-equal footing. For sure. I, I love that, Ben. Um, it, it reminds me, one of the things I do, I, I always, uh, you know, if I'm teaching some theology or scripture or something like that, I always tell people at the start, you are more than welcome to have your opinions of, of mm-hmm. what this book is saying. But if you want to use this book to promote hate, you will not like the Mr. Polson that you unlock because mm-hmm. he will educate you. Um, and I'm just getting, I'm just getting that, but it, it's, it's with, uh, you know, e- even that type of thing when you're saying like, hey, at the end of the day, I'm the dictator and I'm going to keep my class safe and I'm going to keep keep my class knowing that they're cared for. And and by telling you this, even if you're going against it, it's really me showing that I care about you, too. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, and and uh, there's uh, there is uh, there is no good way that I've ever found to educate an adult who does not want to be educated Oh yeah. Um, that, that's if, if one of you, if one of you knows a method, please enlighten me because I'd love one. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if it works, but I use shame. And, <laughs> well, you know, it's this line right here that always gets me. Well, I am who I am, and uh, I don't regret any of my decisions I've made because it made me the person I am today. And, and I always counter that with, "Have you ever considered the person you are today sucks?" and if you're you're making better decisions for yourself to be a better person tomorrow good on you but maybe some of those decisions you made didn't turn out so good for you and you could have been in a better spot today so why don't we start making better ones uh so i you know i use shame but that that doesn't work very well (laughs) and and, at the end of the day too we can all uh we can all uh you know take the old adage don't feed the trolls. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, cause there's, <laughs> I use this, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, if, if someone's, if someone, and if someone's not to the point of being able to like question what they think they know, um, all you can do is like offer up what you know, in the hopes that someday enough people will have done it, that enough like bricks get built together and that pushes that just pushes it over. I also think it's pretty fair to say, um, you know, as 
as a as as the chaplain where in, in the school where you uh you know where you do your thing um it, it's pretty obvious that people think you're the real deal you know um <laughs> that, that, well, that's, that's, a, that's a huge that's a huge statement because we've had full episodes on what that means to be the real deal mm-hmm. and i think i think there's a huge i think there's a huge difference between you know, someone who's putting on a show saying, hey, this is why that's not a good thing. And then someone who's living it. I, I, And I think this goes back to stuff we talk about every single episode that like if you're not living it, you won't be able to really, truly bring it into the classroom. Yeah, it goes, yeah, back, it goes back to that reflective piece that you've talked about. Mm-hmm. So now how do you how do you honor the voices of the students in your classroom then? Because you you you're obviously creating a safe space and the environment mm-hmm. for them to say, okay, in Mr. Lear's class, I can at least know that I will be welcomed here by him at the very least. Now, how mm-hmm. do you honor their voices going forward from there? It's I mean it it kind of runs counter to something I like I just said a moment ago where like you know I have to like maintain eventually some kind of authority in order to like do some of the safeguarding. Um, but I, I also try and teach them like safe ways to question authority. Hey, we, we um, that, that's, Mur- that's Murray Letts. Right? <laughs> so it's, 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 yeah. And so it, it's, it, it's, it's trying to find ways to make it obvious that if you disagree with me, my first action is not going to be to say you're wrong. Um, like, like for, I mean, this is going to sound really stupid. Um, like when I'm taking attendance, <laughs> I have the same spiel I do for the first time I do attendance with a new class. It's always, I'm going to call the names. I need you to let me know right now if I'm mispronouncing it, and I need you to teach me as many times as it takes to get it right. Otherwise, I am going to call you whatever funny way I pronounced your name for the entire rest of our acquaintance together, because it's just the way my brain works. I'm going to memorize your names after this one class, and if you don't fix it now, it's never going to be fixed. The and old attendance I've, pre-apology. <laughs> well, I do. And, and I have had, I have had students take me up on like, like, and I've, I've literally had students force me to repeat their name like eight times until I've got the right inflection mm-hmm. on it. Um, and that's a small scale version of it, but being able to do that with as many things as possible, I think probably is the way I go about it. Um, it's it's one of the ways I think that that maybe the the band teacher part of me, where I've spent a lot of time conducting in front of groups, where again it's a position of a lot of authority inherently, um, maybe hasn't prepared me as well as it could for for doing this this honoring of the voices that that Vito you're asking me about, um, like at the end of the day, if a decision needs to be made, the conductor is the one who's going to make it. And, and so I've been inculcated in that tradition. And I, I know there are lots of teachers out there who are way better than, than me at this, of just like basically having a classroom where everything kind of happens collaboratively by everyone gets to like, like do at least some element of choice. And I'm not nearly as good at that as I could be. And as, as some of those people who teach that way are, um, but trying to, trying to encourage people to give their opinion know that if I see a problem with the opinion, I'm going to ask questions about it. I'm not going to tell them they're wrong, but I'm going to ask them questions about it. Um, I'm going to try as hard as I can not to shut anyone down for something they say, unless it's like, you know, inherently 
problematic or, or one of the isms, right? You say, you say something that demonstrates racism, sexism, classism in my class. I'm going to, I'm going to slam the door on that, but you know, pretty much anything else I'm going to try and just sort of channel what you're putting out. Okay. But I want, I want to take it even deeper than that. Let's say okay. I, I'm, I'm a young lady in your class. I have, I'm, I'm in, obviously indigenous and you know, I, I'm, sitting in your classroom right now and I have a voice I want to use and to honor my tradition, to honor um, my, my own musical upbringing as well. Uh, how, how would you honor that for, for me from coming from where I'm coming from? Um, if, I mean, if, if it's a situation where the student like offers up the opportunity. So in the case, I, I have had students do this before where they come from an indigenous background. They'll like, they'll say like, Oh, here's this, this, this is similar to music that I do. I usually just kind of like seed them the floor and go, oh, great. I am not indigenous at all. Tell me, show me, what would you like to contribute about this? And, and they will. Um, it's also, I think this goes back to the like passive versus active thing. It's also about like actively trying to like search out those voices. So, so it's, it's not enough. It's not enough to simply hope that representation fixes itself. It's not enough to simply hope that someday there will be more Indigenous teachers, more uh, LGBTQ teachers, more whatever teachers. It's about those of us who are straight white men going out and actively seeking those voices. So, for instance, I am programming pieces in my concerts that are by LGBTQ composers. And in many cases, these are pieces that I'm not even necessarily like saying like outright, I'm not saying we're doing this because it's an LGBTQ piece. I'm saying like, hey, here's a great piece of music. By the way, this is a, a gay man who lives in Arkansas with his husband kind of thing, right? Like there, here's the composer's background. Here's his life story. Or um, that I will be having a piece come in that is, has been gifted to a Canadian composer from a First Nation on uh, Vancouver Island. Um, and that piece has been transcribed for band reviewed by the band elders and then passed on as a gift we're going to be doing one of those pieces and examining the tradition that led to it um and those are the i'm i'm reviewing what i'm saying in my head and i'm thinking the gosh this is, this is so silly because they're like these silly little like these they're not actually the kind of change that i would imagine i would like to make but that's the steps that i'm that i'm taking to try and, and do that that honoring of the voice and i hope i hope that students keep challenging on it and keep offering up the unfortunate reality is that a lot of those voices that need to be honored are afraid to speak up. And if I can't read their minds, it's really hard to dig at those stories and get them out there. I well, think, uh, uh, I, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just saying, I really like that because you're, you're offering not only a mirror, but a window in your curriculum. I mean, I got hell, hell years ago <laughs> from uh, English teachers when I suggested to stop using To Kill a Mockingbird in your classroom. And I said, you know, it may have had its time and place, but if you want to honor the Black story, why not a book written by a Black author? Like, the, c can we do that? There's so many good books nowadays. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what, well, the, the the story is timeless and the, the themes are timeless? I'm like, yeah, so are books written 500 years ago. Those teen themes are timeless. Why don't we use those? And they're, they're getting hell. <laughs> that and what what ended up happening this year in my board they stopped the book they said you're no longer teaching that book anymore here is a approved list of books that we have that we ordered that you have access to that are written by people of color mm -hmm. and so i love how you saw because i was doing that on my own 
Like and, in my and, English class might shut the door and say, here's a black poet. Here's Michael Bournes. Watch him. Okay? <laughs> yeah. well, well, that's just it, too. What, what Ben's talking about in terms of, you know, uh, the music pieces and what you're talking about in terms of that, that's cross-curricular all the way. It doesn't, for him, it's a piece of music. For you, it's a piece of literature. Um, for me, it, it could be a, a theologian, a person of color. I mean, um, or, or, you know, look to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, you know, that's something that it doesn't just exist in music or LA or religion or anything. That's, that's, that's something that can be done all the way. And then Ben, I'm going to, what I picked up on too, is that you said something that I think is absolutely paramount in terms of this conversation. You said, I don't know if it's making the change but I hope it is. And that word hope, if we are working to make the world a better place, it starts with the hope that we can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's huge to me. That's massive. Yeah. I, I, I can't even necessarily like claim too much credit for it. I, I, I like, I was reading a bunch of, a bunch of like, um, of authors of, of academic researchers and, and philosophers this summer and um and Sounds fun. Were, yeah, well, <laughs> some of them some of some of them were better than others right um but like they one of one of them that was standing it was was like it, it like paraphrasing it, it was like you know it would be easy to look at like the monolith of prejudice and oppression that exists in the world and throw up your hands and go it's too big i mean what chance do i have of doing anything um and their point was, well, yeah, you're not going to change all of the world, but if enough of us change that one little bit part of the world, maybe something happens. And 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 it's that idea of it doesn't excuse inaction. The monumental nature of the task doesn't doesn't excuse you from the responsibility to make the lives around you better. And I think I think that's a human responsibility, not just a not just a teacher or a student responsibility. That's the way people should be. And that's me getting on my soapbox and, and espousing my personal ideology of life. But um, that's that's how I feel about it. If you're not making the world a better place, what are you doing? I, uh, and and with that, Vito, do you know what time it is? Oh, <laughs> to that point, it is. It Pulsing is the Pulsing points. points. It is the Pulsing Points of the night. We're so lucky we got to talk with Ben Lear tonight. And. Uh, you know, here's the thing that uh, th that we're going to take for away from him. Number one, inspiration can come from anywhere. He got it a lot from his family, even though we saw those long nights of marking. Um, one of the things I really like that you spoke about today, Ben, is that when something doesn't really affect you, make it affect you. Um, I think that's a massive point. And I think that's a huge one that we can take into our classrooms um, because there's a lot of people who don't understand a lot of the things that are going on in this world. If it doesn't affect you, make it. Um, a huge one that's humbled me this evening. Um, would you be impressed with yourself at 15, 16, or 17 years old? How about this one? Would the 60-year-old version of you be impressed with you right now? Um, what are your next steps? Because my next steps and Vito's next steps and Ben's next steps, they're different from everyone else's and they're different from each other's. Um, hey, make the switch from passivity to activity. What's happening, my friends, between the curriculum in your class? Hey, and guess what? The, the, the monumental issue 
isn't an excuse to not make the world a better place. And finally, and I think this is my biggest pulse and point of the night, everyone who is listening to this, every single person, pick something right now that makes you uncomfortable and change it tomorrow. That's a wrap. Ben, we want to thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today and for sharing your wisdom, your self-reflection, your journey, and your really your your insights with us. So we really appreciate you having on. Thank you for being here. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Ben. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us this week on the Unapologist Podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. The Unapologist Podcast.